Welcome back to Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and true crime. I'm Trish, your bartender for today. And I'm Sloan, your crime tender for today. And today's case, we're doing the case of Diane Downs. And if you don't know this one, you may have heard it, but you just forgot the name or you just are completely new to it. But it is a wild one and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Anything you want to throw in there? <laughs> it's my birthday episode! <laughs> Woo! And I picked this case because it's one of my favorite cases. I have a hard time doing my favorite cases because my favorite cases are like big cases that oh, yeah. have a lot of deep dives and twists and turns and all that stuff. So I figured for one of my like quote unquote bigger cases to celebrate my birthday, I would start with Diane Downs because while it has twists and turns... It was manageable to research in less than a week. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so without further ado, we will kick you off to the episode. Welcome to another round of drinks with your bartender, Trish. And today, we're doing another shot. I know, shocker. We've been on a shot, shot, shot kick. Shot, 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 Everybody! <laughs> this one is one that we kind of created. Maybe somebody else has made it before, but we've never had it. It is a peanut butter cookie shot. And you need, just need three ingredients. You need screwball, your Irish cream whether that's Bailey's or some other form, and then cream soda. I was never really much of a cream soda person, but in small doses, it's okay. It is a surprising twist to drinks. <laughs> so this is one you don't even have to shake. I'm sure if you wanted to shake it, you could, but I've just found kind of pouring it into a shot glass and then just shooting it works the best. So what I did was a half ounce of screwball, a half ounce of Bailey's, and then I just topped it with the cream soda. And then you just shoot it and it tastes like so a good. peanut butter cookie. So good. It, oh, it is one that it goes down smooth. It is a little sweeter, so I would not suggest doing a bunch of these because uh, sweet is where you get in trouble. Um, <laughs> but it's a real simple, easy one. Let us know what you think. You can check out how to make it, your recipe card, all that on our socials. We got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all that. We're slowly getting caught up, but it, it, it will be there. <laughs> Getting there. But it's all tequila she wrote across the board. We also have our Patreon set up. That's also tequila she wrote. The easiest way to find it is typing patreon.com backslash tequila she wrote into your web browser. Or visiting our social media and clicking the link tree. And there is a direct link there. And I guess without any further ado, we'll kick you off to the case. Once upon a quiet, quiet warm spring night in Springfield, Oregon. The night staff of Mackenzie Williamette Hospital was enjoying a calmer night in the emergency room. 
when all of a sudden, a red late model Nissan with Arizona tag plates rushed into the emergency drop-off, blaring its horn. The emergency staff was alert and ready to go. In the driveway, a blonde young woman in her 20s waved them on, wildly pointing to her car, saying, Somebody just shot my kids! This is the story of Diane Downs. Dun dun. <laughs> Are we going to get sued for that? Take that out. Never mind. Never mind. Forget the dun dun. So, Elizabeth Diane Downs was born on August 7th, 1955, in Phoenix, Arizona, to Wesley Linden and Willadine Ingle Fredrickson. Say that five times fast. Wesley and Willadine got married as teenagers and were fresh newlyweds when Diane came along into the picture. Diane would later testify that her father sexually abused her when she was 11 years old, but it didn't go further than that. On the weekend, she claimed that he would take her on rides to the desert, then make her remove her shirt and her bra as he watched. Then, as a freshman at Moon Valley High School, Diane dressed like a grown woman of the 1960s and dated older boys. Before this, her old-time Baptist parents forbade any trendy clothings or trends. Kind of an ugly duckling situation is what most people referred to Diane as. But all of that changed when she enrolled in her new charm school at 14 years old. She got a fresh haircut, a new wardrobe to kick off this new Diane, quote-unquote. One of the older boys she dated was Stephen Downs, and the pair became inseparable. The two graduated together, but the relationship didn't survive much longer after graduation. After high school, Diane enrolled in Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College in Orange, California. A Christian college. Keep that in mind. Yeah. And Steve enlisted in the U.S. Navy. Diane was expelled in her freshman year for promiscuous behavior, causing her to move back to her parents' home in Phoenix, Arizona. On November 13, 1973, Diane married her high school sweetheart, Steve, after running away from her home. And the marriage seemed very idealistic from the outside, but the couple regularly argued about financial issues and alleged inf- infidelities mostly on Diane's side. Steve worked half the time. Diane no longer found her high school sweetheart as a fun escape, but she saw him as more of like the domineering personality type, like her dad. She wanted love, but she realized too late that Steve is not where she was going to find that love. However, Diane became pregnant fairly soon after the marriage. And she found the love she was looking for when she became pregnant. Carrying a baby made Diane feel for the first time that she was actually in charge of a love that was all dependent on her. Healthy, yeah? Sure. It was a feeling of power she had never had before in her life, and she relished in the delight of this new love. In October of 1974, the couple welcomed their firstborn child, Christy Ann Downs. (sighs) Once the family was back home, things went back to quote-unquote normal quickly. Diane was back to serving Steve his meals. Forget that she had a newborn baby to take care of. Forget that she had just given birth. Forget that she was also still working part-time at a local thrift store. To Steve, she was there to serve him. And that's not what she wanted. To keep from falling apart emotionally, she needed to feel the emotion once again of that seed of love stirring inside of her. So, 
she got pregnant again. And in January 1976, they had another beautiful baby girl they named Cheryl Lynn, followed by her brother, Stephen Daniel, in 1979. Three kids in five years. (laughs) Not for me. No, thank you. (laughs) But Diane was one of those people that actually loved being pregnant. Like, she just legitimately wanted to be pregnant. She would actually go on to apply for surrogacy, and we'll get to that in a bit. But she just truly, <coughs> like, you know, you you meet women that are pregnant, and they either have one or two experiences. You're either sick all the time, you feel like you're dying, or you feel like that is the prime of your life. Like, you feel the most beautiful, you, you feel the most healthy. I've had friends that have fallen in both of those categories. I don't care to find out what category I fit in. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but back to Danny. By the time that Danny was born, arguments over infidelity in the marriage had become so intense that Stephen was convinced that Danny was not even his son. I should also mention that I saw in one source that Stephen had a vasectomy after uh cheryl was born so like that definitely adds to the infertility infidelity not infertility the infidelity arguments like he got a vasectomy now you're pregnant with with somebody like you're pregnant is it him is it not him and then i found another source that confirmed that danny was not steven's biological son and i literally cannot like confirm this anywhere outside of this one source but this one source said that Danny was not Stephen's biological son, and it claimed that Diane had found her quote-unquote stud at the mobile home manufacturer plant that Diane and Steve worked at together. <laughs> Incapable of reconciling their marriage, the couple divorced in 1980, the year after Danny was born, and that same source that I mentioned earlier about there being the stud, they mentioned that at this point, Diane moved in with Danny's biological father with the three kids during the divorce. So, like, that kind of solidifies to me that that probably is true that, you know, Stephen had the vasectomy. She still wanted to get pregnant, though. So, she went and found somebody that would get her pregnant. She got pregnant. And then she ended up moving in with him. Yeah. But, like I said, I only saw that in one source. And this story is decades old. So, I don't want to put too much stock in something that I can only find in one place. Yeah. So, at this point of the divorce, Diane is 25 years years old, a young divorcee. And she tries to become a surrogate at this point. But, unfortunately, slash fortunately, <laughs> she fails her psychiatric test twice. <laughs> So she's like incapable of being a surrogate because the test ultimately proved that she's not going to want to give the baby up. Diane moves on from that. She becomes increasingly more and more negligent of her three kids at home or wherever else she can drop them off. Her parents would keep them. Steve would keep them. His parents would keep them. Those were her go-to spots. Diane would rather be out and about chasing the next love of her life than be at home with her kids. Her children were often seen as unkept, unkempt, and appeared malnourished to most people. And Christy was often left in charge of the other two kids at home alone, even though she was only six years old. She was left to watch her four- and three-year-old brother and sister. Yeah. Which, on a little side note, I saw a TikTok, and they were talking about minimum ages in different states 
of when you're allowed to stay at home alone. Most states, it's like, you know, nine was the minimum. 10, 11, 12 was common for most states. Half the states don't even have a minimum recommendation or legal, you know, standard or whatever. But I want to say that in Kentucky, which is where she was living at the time, I want to say that Kentucky was the state. There was only one state. The minimum age of a child staying home alone was six years old. I was 10 years old being left home with my two brothers, and that was still a little bit too much. Like, I handled it. It was fine. But I cannot imagine being a kindergartner. I was like, first you're still grader. learning to tie your shoes. And yet, this this girl, Christy, is learning to tie her shoes, but she's being left at home alone to take care of her two siblings. Jesus. Yeah. So, when Diane met Robert, quote-unquote, Nick, Knickerbocker in 1981, she was sure that all of her troubles were behind her. There was only one small problem. Nick was married. Oh, there was another small problem, too. Diane's kids. <laughs> Nick told Diane that he had absolutely no interest in being a daddy, and he abruptly ended the affair because he felt like he was taking her away from them, slash she was prioritizing him over them and whatnot. And so he ended the affair. And in Diane's head, the children were the problem, right? Of course. Yeah. Around the time that she was in the relationship with Nick, too, despite her failing the previous surrogacy psychiatric test... She eventually received an offer from a couple in Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville. Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> we have a Louisville, Mississippi. So that's why I do that. Because if you go to Louisville, Mississippi, and you say Louisville, like... I mean, you also have Louisville, Ohio, which is where I'm from. Yeah. And so, like, whenever I wore my stuff in Nashville, people were like, Louisville, Louisville Ohio? And I'm like, Louisville. <laughs> You're the only ones that want to... Take away the S's. <laughs> Arkansas. <laughs> oh, God. Anyways, if I have not reminded you in a few episodes, I am an uncultured hick from Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, I'm smart, but I also only, like, care about the things that I care about. That's part of ADHD. Like, I just... <laughs> I have my little compartments, and geography is not one of them. But anyway, so this couple gave Diane $10,000, which she claims to have used to pay off debts and finance a vacation for her and her three children. There is no proof of the vacation, but they went, let me tell you, they went. And then on May 8th, 1982, Diane gave birth to another daughter, who she named Jennifer, before relinquishing her parental rights. Diane would later describe this time in her life saying, quote, I was so happy. It was the most stable time in my whole life. I had a purpose of being here, end quote. I wonder why she failed those psychiatric tests. Uh, right? I wonder. After this, Diane even started her own business. It was called Surrogate Parenting of Arizona, and it was modeled after the Kentucky group she had been involved in. She ended up leaving the business behind whenever she moved to Springfield, Oregon in April 1983. She said she wanted to give other people the joy of having a child, which is why she started the, the business. 
but she gave up the life as a surrogate to become a postal worker. Diane moved to Oregon to be closer to her parents, who had moved there from Arizona years before. And it was kind of an interesting side note to me to note, like, her dad was the postmaster in Oregon. So we all know how she got the job. Right. Now we get to the good, nitty gritty, bad. It's not good. I don't know why I said that word. (laughs) Now we get to the meat of the case. On the night of May 19th, 1983, Diane Downs arrived at the emergency room. Her three children, Christy, eight at the time, Cheryl, seven, Danny, three, they were all in the backseat of her car covered in blood. They had all been shot point blank except for Diane, who surprisingly had very little blood on her compared to the rest of the car and passengers. Personnel from the intensive care unit were summoned to assist the emergency room crew the, the emergency room staff declared Cheryl dead at the scene and placed the other two in the hospital with life-threatening injuries. They even thought that Christy was dead for a little while because she wasn't really responsive. And she actually, I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but before I forget this little bit, because I don't think I put it in the notes. But <sighs> she actually did end up passing away a couple of times on the surgery table and they were able to revive her. So, like, Cheryl died before she even got to the hospital, but the other two children were very, very close to death, is my point to all of that. So, they sent the other two into the hospital with the life-threatening injuries. Dr. Stephen Willihite, who had just gotten home when his beeper went off, he rushed back to the emergency room and recalled thinking Christy was dead, but he ended up saving her. Christy suffered from a stroke that would affect her speech for the rest of her life, and Danny was paralyzed from the waist down. Both fought for their lives that night with a team of of amazing doctors and surgeons on their side. When Dr. Willite updated Diane on Christie's condition, he was surprised by her response. He said, quote, not one tear, you know, she just asked, how is she doing? Not one emotional reaction, end quote. He also remembered Diane making offhanded comments like, boy, this has really spoiled my vacation. And, quote, that really ruined my new car. I got blood all over the back of it, end quote. When she was told that Danny had a chance of surviving, her response was, do you mean the bullet missed his heart? Gee whiz. She sounds really concerned about her children surviving. Right. Investigators became suspicious of Diane because they decided her manner was way too calm for a person who had experienced such a traumatic event. And once again, this is one of those Deadpool advocate moments where, like, you don't know how you will react in a traumatic event until it happens to you. But also, this woman was supposedly just shot and her children were basically murdered in front of her. And her reaction was, oh, you mean he didn't actually die from that gunshot wound? He survived? What? When questioned about the events that occurred, Diane told a story of a man that had flagged her down off the side of a dirt road while her three children were sleeping in the back seat. He demanded that she give him the car, and when she refused, he reached around her and shot her children. During the struggle with the, quote, shaggy-haired man end quote. Diane was shot in her left arm, but it wasn't life-threatening. After getting away, she fled to the emergency room. And I'm going to go and say, quote, fled, 
because there is a witness way later on that says she was driving five miles an hour to the emergency room. Tell me how that's fleeing. Uh, she didn't. Yeah. Detective Doug Welch said, It was an interesting interview. We found that Diane Downs was emotionally flat. She said she had been out visiting a friend who had a horse up in the Marsala area. She and the kids, and when it grew dark, they headed home. She took a detour off Marsala Road onto Old Mohawk Road to do some sightseeing. By this time, it was dark, and the kids were sleeping. And as she drove down the road, a man stepped out from the bush, the side of the road, and she stopped the car and got out and asked what he wanted. And he replied, I want your car. She said, you've got to be kidding. At which time he pushed her aside and reached in with a gun and began shooting the kids. To which I say, if you are a single mother with three motherfucking children in the car, why are you stopping on a on an old bumfuck country ass road? Right. Why? You're putting yourself and your children in danger. Like, you keep on driving and you call the cops and you're like, hey, I just passed this road, somebody needs help. You don't put your children at risk for a quote-unquote shaggy-haired stranger. Diane said that she then faked throwing her keys into the woods to divert the gunman's attention, pushed him out of the way, and then jumped back in the car before racing to the hospital. She claims it was during the struggle that she was shot in the arm. So, you know what? Do you have any thoughts? For me, my thought for me, my thought is like, why would the gunman go for the children and not you? Like you're the driver of the vehicle. Why are the children the threat and not you? None of this makes sense. Two plus two is not equaling four. Fearing there could be a gun wielding killer on the loose, police released information to the public almost immediately to be on the lookout. But suspicions of Diane, but suspicions of Diane quickly grew, and Detective Welch said that there were a lot of problems with the stories she was giving. And by the end of their interview, the cops knew she was lying, just like we know she's lying. If the killer wanted the car, wouldn't he have shot the driver first? Hey, am I an interviewer? <laughs> right. But. She was the adult and the biggest obstacle in taking the car. What would the stranger have to gain in shooting the children over her? Their second point was, there was no blood at all on the driver's side. No smears on the steering wheel, nothing on the door, nothing. If a bullet hits you in the arm, you're more than likely going to grab that with the other arm, like, just reflectively, reflexively and you know, try to stop the bleeding or whatever. But that's your reflex is to grab the gunshot wound. If she would have done that and then continued driving, she would have smeared blood all over her steering wheel. There was no blood on the steering wheel, no blood on the driver's side at all. There also was not any gunpowder on the driver's door. If the stranger would have reached around Diane through the open window or door and shot the children, gunpowder particles would have backsplashed from the gun and landed on the driver's side slash seat. So literally nothing is adding up here. Their suspicions heightened when Diane saw Christy for the first time. And remember, Christy can't speak because she had the stroke. But when Christy saw her mom... Her eyes glazed over with very apparent fear, and her heart rate jumped dramatically. 
They also discovered that Diane called Nick as soon as she had left the hospital, as soon as she had gotten to the hospital with the kids. So, girlfriend's not looking good. Police began investigating Diane almost immediately. She signed off on a search warrant, allowing them to search her house. Dumb bitch. And they found a gun that Diane told them over and over again that she did not own. But several people confirmed that she owned. So here's a couple of little side notes is that whenever they went back the next morning at the scene of the crime, they found 22 caliber bullet casings. They asked Diane if she owned that gun. She said no, but both Steve Downs and Nick, Nick, what's his face? The affair guy. They both confirmed that she has a 22 caliber gun. They also found her secret journals during this search that explained the affair she was going that she had going on with a married man who did not want children, which made her view her children as a burden. That's what her diary entry said. This is a straight excerpt from the journal. Quote, What happened? I'm so confused. What could she have said or done to make you act this way? I spoke to you this morning for the last time. It broke my heart to, see, to hear you say, don't call or write. I still think of you as my best friend and my only lover. And you keep telling me to go away and find somebody else. You have got to be kidding. When investigators went to go question Nick, he told them that Diane had stalked him and seemed willing to kill his wife if it meant that she could have him to herself. Crazy bitch. <laughs> you don't say. Crazy bitch. Like, I feel like I would have called the cops at that point and been like, hey, um, I've been having an affair and I think, <laughs> I think my mistress is going to try to kill my wife. I just want this on paper just in case because I don't want you saying that I killed my wife. Right. Like, just me being the crime junkie I am. But apparently Diane stalked him, seemed willing to kill his wife, all that stuff. And then... They actually showed up in person for the next interview with him. And I have to say that Nick gains a lot of brownie points for me. And I, that doesn't mean a lot coming from a man that had an affair with a murderer. But when the police arrived to investigate him about after the kid stuff happened, he was very adamant about having his wife there for the interview, sitting side by side with him. And whenever the cops were like, are you sure? Because we want you to be completely honest with us. He was like, she knows everything that has happened at this point. Like, I came clean a while back before Diane moved to Oregon. She knows everything. And I want her to be here for this because I don't want this to be another layer of mistrust between us. So, like, for that, this dude gets a shit ton of brownie points for me. And you might be thinking to yourself, how does a somewhat good guy like that end up with a bad bitch like Diane Downs. Well, whenever Diane moved to Arizona, she started working at the postal office where Nick worked too. And they worked on the same floor. He was happily married. She was unhappily married. She started wearing like scanty clothes, which once again, it's Arizona and I'm not trying to slut shame anybody. But Nick, from his point of view, he very much tries to make it out like he, she was seducing him yeah. the whole time. And knowing what I know of her, I don't fucking doubt it. <laughs> like, I believe that 1000%. Yeah. That, you know, she would dress very uh, provocatively as a post worker. 
<laughs> like she would show up in low cut low cut shirts, high shorts, that kind of stuff. And they started a very sleazy motel. Um, what's the word? Affair. Affair. That's the word. And it was kind of one of those situations that once Nick got into it, Diane was not letting him out of it. So that is how this somewhat good man found himself in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah. So investigators were questioning Nick. I explained how Nick would have fallen for somebody like Diane. We got all that. So Nick told the police officers everything about the affair with Diane from how it started to the bitter end. He claimed he was in a relationship before he even knew it. He was spending all day at work with Diane and then all night in sleazy motels with her. Diane started demanding that Nick leave his wife, which was something that he never intended to do for Diane. She was supposed to be just a quick fling. He knew that her past relationships were over whenever she wanted them to be over. So he kind of assumed that this was going to be like a quick fuck and he would she would get over him in a few weeks. And what ended up happening was Diane, quote unquote, fell in love with Nick. So he didn't get his way. And I almost wonder if that's why she fell in love with him. Because he was viewing it as a few week fling. Yeah. And she's pursuing it like every other relationship. But this is a man that's not interested in her. And she's like, hey, this is the man for me. <laughs> like, you know. But... Nick was more than relieved whenever Diane and her kids ended up moving to Oregon to be closer to her family. And he was able to reconcile his marriage with his wife at that point, finally. And then, as I said, Nick was able to confirm that she did have the 22 gun. So, they also found a witness. I said this earlier, too. I didn't mean to bring it up earlier, but <laughs> they found the witness that said that Diane had been driving five miles an hour to the hospital. And like, I can't, I take my, I take my, my uh, foot off the brake pedal and my car goes like eight, 10 miles an hour. So how do you go five miles an hour? I'm sure that that's a like, yeah, sarcastic sort of thing. But if you're rushing to the hospital, you've got your foot on the gas somewhat. So while her children were still in the hospital, Diane began giving very colorful media media interviews, telling strange stories, explaining her innocence. Her stories never added up, though. They were full of extraneous details that lessened with the legitimacy of the story. While police suspected Diane, she adamantly denied any involvement when speaking to the media. She would tell them, why would I have taken my kids to the hospital if I wanted them dead? Why wouldn't I have made sure they were dead and then cried crocodile tears? That's insane to think I would do such a thing and then bring the witnesses in against myself. That's crazy. And to that I say, if the shoe fits, right? the shoe fits. A local, a local reporter at the time, Ann Bradley Yeager, remembers Diane's peculiar demeanor in interviews. She said... The more Diane talked, and she talked a lot and frequently, the more she talked, the more things didn't make any sense. It was as if she thought if she kept talking enough that you would believe her. Yeah. <laughs> so, in the hospital, Christy, while she's struggling with her speech, she still can kind of communicate with the officers and whatnot. 
and she's able to tell them like you know there was no sh- I don't remember seeing a shaggy haired man none of this really adds up and thankfully before Christy and Danny leave the hospital a judge puts them into protective custody so they are never with Diane past the time that she brought them into the hospital so that it is a big thick silver lining to this whole case Fast forward a few months, Diane was arrested on February 28th, 1984, which was nine months after the shootings, when she showed up for work. So she showed up for work at her postal office job, and the cops arrested her on the spot. In May of that year, the trial against Diane began with yet another inconceivable twist. Do you remember this twist? No? Diane is pregnant! Again. Oh, yeah. I do remember that. And it's no accident. It's no accident. In another one of her strange media appearances, Diane spoke about the pregnancy. She said, quote, I got pregnant because I miss Christy and I miss Danny and I miss Cheryl so much. I'm never going to see, I'm never going to see Cheryl on Earth again. And I just, you can't replace children but you can replace the effect that they can give you. And they give me love. They give me satisfaction. They give me stability. They give me a reason to live and a reason to be happy. And that's gone. They took it from me. But children are so easy to conceive. End quote. Because I'm about to go off. <laughs> this is why I don't think everybody should have children. Like, I strongly feel that you should have a psychiatric test before you should have children. Not even surrogate children, but just regular children. Like, this woman is literally getting pregnant because she thinks that she can replace her children. And the happiness that pregnancy gives her. Not everybody is fit to be a parent. Nope. I am not fit to be a parent, which which is why I choose not to be a parent. But it makes me so mad whenever I see parents. Like this situation, she has children that she wanted to get rid of and that wasn't good enough for her. And she went and got fucking pregnant again. And she did it for sympathy. She knew she was going to be on trial. She went and got pregnant. So the jurors would look at her with sympathy. And so she could feel that pregnancy happy again. And that is bullshit. There are so many couples and women out there that want to have children that would be great, phenomenal parents. And they can't conceive. And it's not fair that there are people out there like this bitch. Who is fucking what's oh i just lost the name for it (laughs) all i can think of is moaning myrtle but that's not it fertile fertile myrtle that's what i'm trying to say then you have diane downs here who is fertile myrtle and can get pregnant every time she has unprotected sex and it's not fair (laughs) like the universe is not fucking fair I think the universe knew what they were doing with me <laughs> when they fucked up my my ovaries. But it just, these cases hit me the hardest because 
I know that there are so many people out there that have loving homes and loving hearts that want to have children. And then you have heartless fucks like this person who can conceive on a whim and just carry a child through life. And that's just, it's not fair. Not fucking fair. So, anyways, Diane got pregnant in time for it to show at her trial. Um, Ann Bradley, the journalist, said Diane told her that she had picked someone on her postal route to seduce prior to her arrest. She remembers worrying that Diane's pregnancy could affect the way jurors viewed her. And Diane was very aware of that. She knew that. She said um, that if she got pregnant, the people would look at her and say, how could a woman who loves children this much and got pregnant have killed her children? Look at her. Let that sit for a minute. Draw your conclusions. Think about what the jury's going to do and hold on till the end of the hold on till the end of the episode. You may or may not be disappointed. Diane's trial lasted 31 days and was one of the biggest, most widely widely covered murder trials in Oregon history. Diane played it up to the cameras that lined up outside of the courthouse, forever smiling and waving as if she was a motherfucking celebrity and not a murderer on trial. Prosecutors laid out the evidence against Diane, all leading up to their star witness, Christy Downs. Pew, pew, pew! Pew, pew, pew! Maybe we should invest in soundtracks so I don't have to make the noises for us. <laughs> pew, pew, pew! Let us know. Do you enjoy my noises or should we invest in soundtrack noises? Pew, pew. <laughs> so, all leading up to their star witness, Christy Downs, after months of physical and mental therapy, Christy was finally able to take the stand and tell what happened to her that horrible night. Christy testified that her mother stopped the car off a rural road, got out of the car, opened the trunk, and then she shut the trunk. When she returned to the car, when something in her hand, and then seconds later, she heard the first shot. District Attorney Fred Hugie asked Christy if she remembered who shot her. She, repri- she replied simply, I watched her. My mom did it. Pew, pew, pew! Pew, pew! <laughs> so, the defense claimed during cross-examinations claimed that Christy was coached through her testimony or told to lie about the shooting. Diane then testified in her own defense, which is something that you don't see often. Yeah. But Diane testified, and I can see that coming from this narcissistic fuck. She testified denying shooting her children because they stood in the way of her and Nick's relationship. She insisted she loved her three children and that she never cared enough about any man to warn to want to harm her children but she cared enough about stranger men to like leave her children at home for nights days on end your contradiction the jury deliberated for 36 hours before returning its unanimous verdict guilty of murder for shooting death of cheryl lynn downs guilty of attempted murder in the shooting of christy ann downs and stephen daniel downs and guilty of first-degree assault for the attack on her three children. Diane Downs was sentenced to life in prison plus 50 years. 
most of her sentence is to be served consecutively because the judge made the judge made it very clear that he did not want Diane to ever regain her freedom. Between the verdict and the sentencing, the court recessed so that Diane could give birth to a girl she named Amy Elizabeth. Ten days later, after her birth, the baby was taken by the state and delivered to adoptive parents who renamed her Rebecca Becky Babcock. So, during the trial, psychiatrists diagnosed Diane with narcissistic, histrionic, and antisocial personality disorders. I am somebody that is very, like, interested in psychology and all that kind of stuff, so I kind of wanted to dive into those things a little bit. We talk about narcissistic narcissistic personality disorder on this podcast a lot, but we haven't, like, gone into the definition of it. So, narcissistic personality disorder is one of the several types of personality disorders, is a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships, and a lack of empathy for others. I'm sure we all know people like that, but just because somebody has those characteristics does not mean that they have this personality disorder, but still, we all kind of know somebody like that. The only one out of these that I was unfamiliar with was the histrionic personality disorder, which is characterized by a pattern of excessive attention-seeking behaviors, usually beginning in early childhood, including inappropriate seduction and an excessive desire for approval. And then lastly, the antisocial personality disorder, sometimes, sometimes called sociopathy, is a mental disorder in which a person consistently shows no regard for right and wrong and ignores the rights and feelings of others. I think we can all agree that all three define Diane Downs. Mm -hmm. So that should be the end of this story. But unfortunately, in 1987, three years into her sentence, Diane escaped from the Oregon's, the Oregon's Women's Correctional Center where she was being held. Authorities said she scaled two 18-foot fences surrounding the prison climbed under a pickup truck, and waited several minutes before calmly walking away. Prison officials believe Diane wore several la layers of clothing to avoid puncture wounds from the barbed wire at the top of the fence, and a tattered striped shirt was found under the pickup truck where Diane supposedly hid. An alarm hooked up to the outside of the fence rang briefly at 8.40 a.m. that morning, but prison officials didn't think anything of it because it was, like, a very sensitive alarm. They said that even, like, a strong gust of wind or even a bird flying past it would set it off. But, however, whenever a nurse arrived at the prison 15 minutes later, she reported seeing a suspicious woman climb out from under a pickup truck and walk away. The nurse, the nurse was sure it was Diane Downs who sent the prison guards on a quick emergency roll call where they found Diane was missing. A massive search around the women's prison ensued, but Diane was gone. She was picked up hitchhiking virtually right across the street from the women's prison, which was adjacent to the Division II headquarters of the Oregon State Police. Good job, guys. Good job. The unknowing couple drove Diane to a restaurant three blocks from the prison, and they said that she hopped out of the car real quick, saying she needed to get to a phone quickly because her boyfriend had been injured in a car accident. Diane's escape triggered a multi-state search, but ten days later, police tracked her down to the home of another inmate's husband. You heard that right. 
another inmate's husband, our little promiscuous Diane Downs, just blocks from the prison. A piece of paper that was found in Diane's cell held indentations, which included an address of a house and a map to show its location. Oregon State Police conducted a drive-by of the rundown house for two days, and then state and local police served a search warrant on the house and found Diane with four other men inside. The four men were charged with hindering prosecution. After being recaptured, Diane was transferred to a more secure facility in New Jersey, the Department of Corrections Clinton Correctional Institution, which is a maximum security prison. And as a bonus, she received an additional five-year sentence for her escape. (laughs) Funny but not funny side note is that New Jersey agreed to take Diana down, Diane Downs in exchange for two of their inmates. Like, what the fuck is this? Pokemon trading cards or something? I don't get it. But, anyways. In 1984, she was transferred to the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. And while in prison, Diane earned an associate's college degree in general studies. So... In 1991, Diane requested a new trial, claiming she was not adequately represented by lawyers in her trial and appeal. So the judge said bullshit and upheld her convictions. But in an article that I read that was defending the wrongful conviction of Diane, they made some kind of valid points that I wanted to drop here for the sakes of of devil advocate. Blah, blah, blah. Hard time talking. I already told you I was test drinking shots. Test. Testing shots. Anyways. So. This one random article that I found. They said things. Um, their points were. The prosecutor assigned to this case. Didn't have prior experience with murder trials. This is a big case to take right out of the gate. And a lot of pressure from the media. The community. And a chain of command. Was sure to take effect on him. Also, it was Judge Gregory G. Foote's first trial moving up from juvenile court. So that's another little bullet point there. And also, Judge Foote was coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, the judge that placed Christy and Danny in protective custody and, quote, took Diane's children from her, end quote. So, I kind of feel like that's a conflict of interest. He shouldn't have been allowed to preside over both cases there. But it is what it is at this point. And then, uh, lastly, Diane's father was not happy with the defense attorney, Yeager. He even seeked out an alternative, DA Melvin Belly, who accepted the job right away. But Judge Foote would not allow the uh, trial to wait until Belly returned from Europe. So, everything that could have worked in Diane's, like, favor was kind of shut down. Yeah. But there wasn't a whole lot of things in her favor to begin with. In my opinion, even if she had had the other defense attorney, she's still guilty as fuck. So, Diane was found guilty on all charges. But her sentence makes her eligible eligible for parole consideration after 25 years. 
And under Oregon law, as a dangerous offender, she will be eligible for parole consideration hearings every two years until she's released or dies in prison. And to that, I'm like, that's a dangerous offender status? <laughs> like, every two years? And maybe I need to look into what dangerous means to Oregon, but... Yeah. Right now, we have two different meanings of dangerous. In her first application for parole in 2008, Diane reaffirmed her innocence. She said, Over the years, I have told you and the rest of the world that a man shot me and my children. I have never changed my sto story. Diane participated in her parole hearing from the Valley State Prison for Women. She wasn't allowed to make a statement, but she was able to answer questions from the parole board. After three long hours of interviews and 30 minutes of deliberation, Diane was denied parole. She was denied parole again in 2010, and in the meantime, that same year, Oregon passed a new law changing the parole guidelines, so Diane now has to wait 10 years between parole hearings instead of two years. I was not able to find anything on a parole hearing for 2020. I assume that's because of corona. Probably. But also, this is two years later. Like, I'm sure that if she had wanted her parole hearing and pushed for it, it would have happened. And if that's the case and it did happen, there is no journalism available for me to check into that. And then I have two other little side notes. So, one is that Christy and Danny actually went to go live with the prosecutor of the case, Fred Hughie and his wife. And they adopted the kids in 1984, the year after the trial. So, they are well taken care of, well loved. And then the other side note, I didn't really know where to put this one in. But shortly before her death, Cheryl Lynn reportedly, reportedly told one of the neighbors of her grandparents that she was afraid of her mother. So, like, foreshadowing. Is that true or not? I don't know. But in the flow of my little story river there there wasn't a good place to put that but at the end it's a little yeah. side note but diane downs that is a case that has held me captive for a long time it's one of those that every time you think you're done taking a turn it takes another sharp left turn and you're like what the fuck just happened like yeah. the pregnancy during trial boom i saw that coming because i knew it was coming but <laughs> the first time i heard the story it was mind-blowing yeah so, let us know what you think about this case. Do you think Diane is guilty or innocent, dare I say? Is there anybody out there that thinks, she's, that thinks she is innocent? Let us know. Um, you can hit us up on our social medias or the email address, tequilashewrote at gmail.com. But without further ado, we'll kick you off to the last call. Welcome back to another last call. Again, I'm your bartender, Trish. And today's... Last call. I saw... I've seen it, like, multiple places since, like, I originally saw it. But it is a... <laughs> it had me laughing, for sure. This is how a Florida woman got out of jury duty. Mm. And the headline reads... Woman uses sugar daddy excuse to get out of jury duty in Nicholas Cruz trial. Which, if you don't, if the name Nicholas Cruz does not ring a bell, he is the Parkland shooter. 
So, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, <laughs> this woman used her sugar daddy as an excuse to get out of her <laughs> her I know like, this story. Court. Yes. I know this story. And it's good. Yes. So, if you've never done jury duty, which I've done it once, and I luckily never got picked to do, like, a trial, but when you're at jury doing that, at least here in Mobile, like, when you're in, like, the room getting assigned into your, like, groups and that, be like, you get basically a chance to possibly talk your way out of it. Mm-hmm. And then if that doesn't work, then you get put in your groups and everything. And then once you're at the trial, like, especially, like, ones, like, high profile, like, your grand jury ones, you then get to plead your case to, like, the judge and everything as to why maybe you don't, you shouldn't be considered in that. Well, this woman (laughs) used the fact that she has first... Okay, so first she started out with the fact that this case was supposed to be, like, basically going under trial in July, which is her birthday month and her son's birthday month. Then, when she didn't feel like that was going to get enough sympathy, she threw out the fact that she had a sugar daddy and said, I need to figure out something I have my sugar daddy that I see every day. Which the judge responded, I'm sorry? And she goes, my sugar daddy. (laughs) And the judge was like, I'm not sure what you're talking about. (laughs) No, we're all sure what you're talking about. Which then she proceeds to go on. I'm married and I have my sugar daddy. And she goes on for a while, like, she's like, I have my sugar day, he expects to see me every day, he pays me, like, such and such money, and everything. And the judge at first is so, like, flustered, I don't think she knows, like, that's probably the first time she's ever had that excuse used on her. She's like, well, we'll come back to you. Well, the audacity is getting bigger these days. (laughs) But she was just like, oh, we'll come back to you. Well, they eventually did circle back to her. And yes, if you're wondering, she was able to get out of court because of the fact that she had a sugar daddy. Good to know. And I feel like that is the greatest excuse ever. So now I need a Splenda daddy. I don't want a sugar daddy. I need a Splenda daddy that's just going to pay me to like talk to him, make me hang out nothing explicit and then i can use you to get out of jury duty (laughs) but when i first heard that story i was dying i was like there's something i never thought of before (laughs) but it's a short and sweet last call but it i thought it was too good not to use yeah but If you're liking what you're hearing, be sure to rate, review us, share us with friends, family, somebody that would enjoy it, you think. And 
Be sure to check out our social medias. We are on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that fun stuff. Um, we also have our Patreon set up. It's easiest to find at patreon.com backslash tequila she wrote. Or you can hit up one of our social medias and we have a link tree and it has a direct link there as well. You can also send in cocktail recipe suggestions, case recommendations, all that good stuff. Tequila she wrote at gmail.com. And until next time, thanks for riding along on the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot. Beep beep. <laughs>